by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Zephaniah 3.17. It says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He's not far off, is he? This is Old Testament. If when this was written, God was living among them, how much more today that he's living within us? <laughs> he is a mighty Savior. It's, a, it's all right to have a mighty Savior living on the inside of you. That's all right. He will, tel- he will take delight in you with gladness. Uh, my version here says he will calm all your, with his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You know, God sings over you. He's so, he's so happy to be living in you. He takes delight and gladness in the fact that he's your savior and he's here to calm your fears. Praise God. Am I preaching anybody happy but me? Our God loves us. He's got it under control. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We just glorify your name right now, Father. We just take this time to say we love your unfailing love. (laughs) That we are yours, oh Lord. And I know that all I want to be is yours. Because you hold me in your hand. (laughs) And you make time for me. I don't even understand. Thank you, Jesus. For everything that you're speaking today to your people. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts are rich, soul, ready to receive and be implanted with the word of God that's going to change our destination. We're going to be fruitful. Our lives are going to count. We're going to do great and mighty exploits. And we're going to advance the kingdom. We're going to see good days. And even when fear arises and temptation comes, and even when we lose loved ones, and when we sorrow and we feel alone, we're going to remember that we're not alone, that you're singing over us, and that your hand is upon us, and that you got this. We thank you for your Unfailing love, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You know, we just need to remind ourselves so often in this world that we live that the victory has already been won. Jesus has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. All, the only reason the devil's still allowed to be down here is to give us somebody to beat up on. And all those thoughts that come against your mind. Then we need to take authority because we're seated in Christ in heavenly places far above all principality, powers, and rulers of the darkness. We have the victory. We need to learn to enforce it. We need to recognize 
when we're hearing voices put us down, count us out, and we hear those voices and the condemnation coming upon us, that's not God singing over you. That's the devil trying to deceive us, to think that, and we, you know, what you believe is what you become. And if you believe the lie, even though you have the victory, you will never walk in it. All this is for free, not even on my notes. I'm not going to charge you a penny for that. (laughs) I mean, I think I could leave happy right now. I think I could leave happy. And next week we celebrate the resurrection. Man, we should be... We should be enforcing that resurrection in our lives. Don't let the devil steal your resurrection. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Got to see it. Got to receive it. Believe it so you can be it. How many has read the book of Esther in the Bible? It's, man, it's a wonderful story, a uh, true story. Of course, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Esther is this beautiful young Jewish girl, and she gets selected to be the queen in Persia under this evil king named Xerxes is the best I can pronounce it. I don't know, it starts with an X. How do you pronounce a word that starts with X? Anyway, this guy is just, He's a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. This guy, he ain't all there, man. He's, <laughs> he's dangerous, and he's keen. He's got authority. Well, anyway, him and his prime minister, his prime minister's an evil fellow too, and he's, he doesn't like the Jews, so he comes up with this plan. He's going to get the king to sign off on a pact that they're going to kill all the Jews on this certain day. And this really happened. Probably the closest that God's people have ever come to complete extermination. And here this beautiful young Esther is now the queen, but she's scared of this king that she's married to, right? And she hasn't told him that she's a Jew. So the king doesn't know. So Haman's saying, we're going to kill all the Jews. We don't like these people. We'll take their money. And the king's like, sounds good to me. So they make a proclamation that all the Jews are going to be wiped out. Well, Esther has an uncle named Mordecai. And Mordecai is a God-fearing man. And he had raised Esther since her dad died when she was a little girl as, her, as his own daughter, practically. And so he sends word to King, Queen Esther, says, Esther, you got to do something. The king has made a proclamation. He's going to kill all the Jews. And she sends word back, Mordecai, I would like to, but you know the king. He's already made a rule that if anybody comes in his presence without being bidden, that they're immediately to be killed. Unless he holds out the golden scepter and receives you. But that's a chance I don't want to take. And Mordecai sends back word to Queen Esther. He says, Esther, if you don't do anything, you're going to die. And then God's going to have to find somebody else to save the Jewish nation. But he said, perhaps, perhaps God made you queen for just such a time as this. 
Just perhaps that's why God made you queen. Perhaps there's purpose in what you do. So Queen Esther, she thinks it over. She sends word back again. They got these messengers running back and forth. Says, okay, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray for the next few days. Pray and fast for me, and I will pray and fast, and I will approach the the king. And so she did after praying and fasting. She came, walked boldly into the presence of the king. And the king looks up. And he sees her, and a smile comes across his face, and he takes his scepter. A scepter is like just a golden rod, a symbol of authority, you know, something. And he, he extends it to Esther. My queen, come on in. In fact, what can I do for you? I'm willing to give you half of my kingdom. I'm telling you, he's here one day and gone the next, you know. And so she tells him of the story. And if you read the rest of the book, she ends up saving the entire Jewish population. It's a wonderful story with many twists and plot, cra- uh, crazy plots, subplots going on. You need to read the book. It's, it's a very enjoyable read. Today's message, I'm entitling Approachable. Now that king, he wasn't very approachable. <laughs> he wasn't going to have a lot of unannounced visitors right i've seen and heard about some of these presidential candidates having a fundraiser they're charging five hundred thousand dollars a plate of food to come and to be sit at the table with these presidential candidates that's not very approachable is it you got to pay your way to play (laughs) but i'm here to say today my message is That God is holding out a golden scepter to you. And he is completely approachable. And that's the case that I want to make to you today. I mean, how much more approachable could he be than he became one of us? I mean, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher. He was, the Bible says, no man has seen God at any time, meaning God in his fullness of his glory. Because God is a spirit, right? We couldn't, we couldn't even imagine his glory as human beings. So what did he do that wasn't very approachable? So he became a man. He became one of us. Jesus was fully God, 100% God, but 100% man. At the same time. And he was tempted in every point as we are. He lived life. He went through the same struggles that you and I face. So that he could know. He could identify. And he could be approachable. And what did he do? He walked with his disciples day in and day out 24-7. They saw him when he got up and went to the restroom in the mornings. He was one of us. Do you understand? He didn't hide uh, behind an entourage. He walked with his entourage. Unlimited access. And today we have four detailed gospel books written that tells us the things that we need to know about how Jesus was here on the earth. And we can study that. 
In fact, John says in his gospel that if all the things that Jesus had done were written down, all the heavens couldn't contain all the books that would be written. He wants us to know him, to come to him, say approachable. <laughs> and then we got what, 62 other books that make up our, the word of God? that give us the mind of Christ, that we can get in here and we can, we can say, oh, God feels this way about this situation. Oh, when this happened to this person, I see what God did and how he responded. And what do we find? Unfailing, approachable love. And if that weren't enough, Jesus prayed, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. You may be in them as you're in me. And he sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live on the inside of us. How approachable is that? You have only to go inward. You're not, you don't have to search for him. Is he over there? Is he on the roof? God is inside of you. He walks every moment with you while you're asleep, snoring like a freight train. He's there. Every moment of our life, God is approachable. He turned no one away. In Matthew 19, 14, the disciples were like these little kids, you know. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't kid business, you know. This is the Messiah. He needs to be shown respect. But in 1914, Jesus said, let the kids come to me, to me. Don't stop them. There's not a little church in the back for kids and a big church out here that matters. The same Jesus that's in here today is back there with them right now. And their little spirits are learning. And he's excited and his presence and his power is available to them just like it is to us. In Luke 15, one says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That made the Pharisees mad. They were like, why would you eat with such people? Why would you be with them people? They had classified everybody. Only certain people could approach them. But here, these people felt comfortable approaching Jesus. They wanted to come and to hear him because he was approachable. One time Jesus' mother and brothers showed up and there was a crowd so surrounding Jesus everywhere he went. If you read the book of Mark, you'll, you'll get a better sense of the crowds and the press that was always upon Jesus during his ministry. And they couldn't get in. And so they sent word, and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting to see you. And in Luke 8, 21, Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. In other words, he made no distinction between his blood kin and his spiritual kin. He makes no distinction between his, his physical mom on the earth and you, as his spiritual mom, his spiritual brothers, his spiritual sisters, whatever role you have in the family of God, he makes no distinction 
Last week, Brother Joe uh, brought up Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody remember what that says? For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Well, today, let's look at verse 12. It says, in those days when you pray. Now, God's assuming that you are going to pray, right? Because <laughs> if you don't pray, you know. But when you pray, I will listen. Man, I can't even get my own wife to listen to me half the time. <laughs> no, that's not true. I was just making a joke. I'm going to build me a doghouse out in my shed. But God will listen to you. What? I don't have to pay $500,000 to sit at the table and, and be able to get a word in with God? I'm already at the table. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Now, see, he does want your heart is what he's after, right? And he wants you to not just take him for granted. That's why so many relationships go awry because nobody, they take each other for granted. One in the relationship becomes the doormat. God doesn't want to be a doormat. He wants you to search for him wholeheartedly. But he wants to be found. He wants you to find. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. Say approachable. End your captivity. You say, I'm not captive to anything. I'm not in jail. Oh, we're all captive. To the lies that we have believed about ourselves, about our situations, about this world, about his unfailing love. We're all captive in some regard. And God wants to break off those chains. Tear out those lies that you have believed and set you free. Say approachable. Now let me ask you. As Christians, little Christ... Are you approachable? Or are you more like a Pharisee? Somebody's got to rank up before they can come in your presence. You're not holding out your scepter to anybody, just any old body. Are we, are we categorizing people, those worthy, those not worthy to receive the gospel, to receive my presence? How approachable are you as a little Christ? Do you hold out the scepter to others? You know, we will never look into anyone's eyes. No matter how vile a life they may have lived, what a notorious sinner they may have become, how wicked, how dirty, how useless we may deem them to be. We will never look into anyone's eyes that Christ didn't die for. That he wasn't willing to die for. If we get that perspective, we'll begin to see everyone differently, won't we? 
there's a guy named Joe at Titus 1-1 Ministries. He suggests this, that we live with an open arms policy. Now, we got a pretty good Joe in our church, what do you think? Wasn't that a good message last week? Good job, Joe. He didn't know he was supposed to take up the offering this morning. Caught him by surprise. But you know what? He got up here and he was instant in season and out of season. The gospel just flows out of him like a river. Good job, Joe. Now, Joe, last week, he hit y'all with an extra dose of honesty and humility. He was willing to share his deepest, darkest secrets. Things that most of us would hold on to, right? I'm not letting anybody know that. I've got my church face on. And I'm not letting anybody know who I really am. You know, my brother, I used to write newspaper articles. And I share some of the stories on the internet even today. And a lot of times he was in my stories. And I would make him out to be the goofball. I'd make him out to be the the bad guy or something while I was always the hero because I wrote the stories, right? (laughs) And I'd often come to him. He would always read them before I'd put them out and send them to the newspapers. And I'd say, Heath, you ever get tired of me making you out to be the doofus? He said, I don't care as long as it leads people to Jesus. That's all he cared about. That's what makes you approachable. Being real. Haven't you had enough of plastic church? Nobody changes in a plastic church. If you look at the banner over here, you say we're genuine, we're passionate, and we're relevant. Not relevant in some mamby-pamby way that we bow to the world's ways and, and we compromise. But Jesus, when he was in a fishing community, he talked about what? When he was in a farming community, he talked about soil and seeds. And he was relevant. And though he ate with the sinners, he didn't sin. He told them the truth and showed them how to stop sinning. And he's told the truth in love. And he was approachable. And even the sinners recognized something that the the Pharisees could not in Jesus. Isn't that something? People should be able to approach approach the love of God in us. I've had people say, well, we don't need to let that kind of people in our church. I've had somebody tell me, we shouldn't let that person on the prayer team. We shouldn't let this pe-. If people can't find love in the house of God, where can they find it? Where do we send them next? Oh, you're not welcome here. You're not good enough here. Where do, they're like, where do I go next? Where, how do I rank up? Oh, the church has done so much harm to people. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he says, heal the sick. Raise the dead. cure those with leprosy and cast out demons give as freely as you have received let people access Jesus through you you say whoa wait a minute now (laughs) I can't heal anybody no you can't but Jesus can through you 
You see, I'm not, even me, I'm like, raise the dead. I'm going to have to hear from God on that one. I'm not trying to bust up no funerals, you know. They might be in heaven get mad at me when they had to come back, you know. I don't know if I have the faith for that. But God is trying to get us to believe that the works that he did shall we do also, and greater works than these. If I can't raise the the physically dead, if I don't have the faith to do that, at least I can have the faith to raise raise the spiritually dead. I have the words of eternal life. It works every time. Once they get planted in a heart, I can sow, I can water, and I can believe God for an increase. So give as freely as you have received. In my Bible, when I turn to Isaiah 55, the header that heads the chapter says, Invitation to the Lord's Salvation. I said, man, that's got to be a good chapter right there. Because we all want to be saved. We all need to be saved. In verse 1, it says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. There's no qualifications. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Give as freely as you have received. It's all free. And in verse 3, God says, come to me with your ears wide open. And I will listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you and I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. There's that word again, unfailing love. And in verse 6 it says, Seek the Lord while you may find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Oh, ye sinners, come to the cross. Call on him. Seek him. Turn to him. He will forgive generously. Can anybody attest to the forgiveness that they have received? The reason that Joe can be so honest about his faith is because the Bible says he who is forgiven much loves much. And I feel like I love God more than all of you. (laughs) Because I know what I've been forgiven of. The person that I was before. And the person I'm still yet to be. But I'm thankful. God wants us to give an invitation to the Lord's salvation. But the world doesn't know he's approachable. They're too busy hiding because of their sin. They're running from God. They dare not come into the light that their sins may be exposed. But Jesus doesn't define us by the sum of our past mistakes. They need to know that once you're forgiven, 
He throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more. He casts them as far as the east is to the west. And every day his mercy is new. And if you sin after you've been saved, all you need to do is 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness and the mercy starts all over again. Woo! We can live like this. Get the monkey off your back. Cast your cares over on him for he cares for you. Stop letting the devil ruin your life. Walk in the victory. It's already been won. The prodigal only had to come home. He didn't have to pass any test once he got there. He just had to come home. Peter denied Jesus three times. He's out there fishing, and he looks up, and old Jesus is just walking along the bank, still wanting him to help him catch fish, still teaching him to be a fisher of men. And somebody says, hey, it's Jesus, and Peter jumps out the boat. He can't wait to row back to the shore. He got to go now. He takes off swimming and swims to Jesus, swims to be restored. And Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my little lambs. Go show somebody else how I'm forgiven, how you can come back to me when you've made a mistake, how I'm so approachable. Blind Bartimaeus was sitting there on the side of the road, and he heard the noise of a crowd, and he said, who is it? And he said, it's Jesus coming. And Jesus said, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out. Everybody says, be quiet, blind Bartimaeus. You're not worthy of the master. But the master shut down the whole parade and went to the voice that was seeking him and calling out and crying out his name. And he received his sight and he became part of the the disciples. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Some of us only have three or four, but we know what that's like. (laughs) Hopefully nobody in here has a demon. If you do, come over here right now and we'll cast that booger out. Because we have authority over them. Because we're seated in heavenly places. Far above all power. We have authority over demons. And Jesus proved it and he cast those seven demons out of her. And for the first time in her life, she was free From that darkness that had invaded her soul and had controlled her for so long. What did she do? Did she say, thanks, man. That was awesome. Man, I'll see you in heaven when I get there. And walk back into her old life? Oh, no. She was never the same again. And you never see Jesus apart from Mary Magdalene. She was the first one at the tomb. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Jesus was meeting with some Pharisees in their home. 
This nice upscale house, I'm sure, where everybody's so super holy and they're burning incense and wearing long robes. And she knows she's not welcome there. But somehow she sneaks past the doorman. And she comes in there and she breaks her alabaster box of uh, precious perfume that she spent every last dime that she ever ever made on it. And she uh, anointed his feet with those, that perfume and with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. And those Pharisees are sitting there and saying, if he, knew, if he was really God, he wouldn't know what manner of woman this was. He wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus said, you don't even understand. Everywhere I go, I'll be talking about what this woman has done for me. She has prepared my body for burial. She didn't care what the Pharisees thought. She didn't care what anybody thought. Are you embarrassed by your alabaster box? Are you embarrassed of your testimony that you're forgiven? Do you just take it so lightly that, oh, I've got a trip to heaven, that's all I need? I'll just go my way, I'll live my life. We'll worry about the rest when judgment day comes. I'm sure he'll be merciful. That's no life at all. You understand that he is life. And to walk apart from him is to walk apart from life. And who you were created to walk with. Everything in you cries out, my Lord and my God. Every hunger, every thirst, all that is within me cries out, Jesus, my Lord. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Or do we just doubt that it's real? You know, Thomas walked with Jesus for three years. And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And Thomas was, must have been out buying groceries or something. He wasn't there. And they all saw him. And when Thomas came back, they couldn't wait. Thomas, he's alive! And all his brothers were saying, he's alive. And they were celebrating. And Thomas is like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Do I really believe? I'll have, to, I'll have to touch those holes in his hands before I can believe it. I had to put my hand in this spear hole because I saw him die. And it wasn't pretty. I just don't know. I'd have to see that to believe it. A week later, they're all gathered around. This time, Thomas is there. Boom! Here come Jesus. Thomas, boy. What's this I hear about you don't believe? Put your hands in the holes. Here, put your hand in my side. Touch me. See that I'm real. Know that I'm approachable. He said, you believe because you've seen. He said, my Lord, my God. He said it then. But what about us? Jesus is in heaven now. He said, blessed are those, those who have not seen but believe. Right. 
And there's another scripture just came to my mind. If, if we say we love God who we have not seen, how can, we, how can we say that if we don't love our brothers who we can see? Where'd that come from? <laughs> don't doubt. He's so approachable that on the morning of his resurrection, he gets up and immediately chases two wayward disciples down the road to Emmaus seven miles down the road. I think he had been through enough that week that he might need a rest. But he's still, like when he was walking down the beach, just saying, hoping Peter will see him. Like he's sitting on the porch, like waiting for the prodigal. These two wayward disciples are walking off. Man, we thought it was him, man. I'm disappointed. I'd, we, we was almost sure he was the Messiah, but now he's gone. And they just, they've lost their faith. And Jesus comes walking up. He starts expounding on the scriptures. Look, this is what you believe, not your experience. We have a more sure word of prophecy. It's not your experience, not what grandma said. It's what the word of God says. And here he is, the word of God, telling them the word of God. And when he revealed himself and then disappeared, they said, let's go back to Jerusalem. Woo, we got to get back with the program. We got to get our faith back. We, we got it now. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road? Just to have him near. And they hightailed it back to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, they got back with the program. Maybe we need to get back with the program. Did our hearts not burn within us? Woo! Jesus, you was on that cross, Lord. Jesus was on that cross for me. He said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He had never, he had never not felt the fellowship and the closeness with his father. He had never felt alone. He didn't know what it was like to not have the fathers to but he was forsaken for that moment so that me and you will never have to be forsaken. We will never have to say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? We will never have to feel apart from God ever again unless we believe the lies of the enemy. We can draw ever closer. Deep calls unto deep. Deep is calling you to a closer, more approachable relationship today. He wants to be with you and in you. Sin had separated us from a holy God, but Jesus' cross bridged that gap that we may never be separated again. When he said, it is finished, that curtain was rent from top to bottom. And not just the priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, but this brother right here could come right on in. Come on, all you come and buy from me. Get you some milk, get you some wine. It's all free. Come and talk to me. Be with me. Anybody. And Hebrews 4, 
Verse 16 says, so let us come boldly with full assurance, with confidence. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Why can we come boldly? We got nothing to offer a king. But he's got everything to offer us. That we may obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. He wants, to, he wants to fill you with life. He's approachable. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you that are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why do we carry heavy burdens? They're not ours to carry. Why are we weary? It's because we're not approaching. And we're not being approachable. Why do we live thirsty, unsatisfied lives? Because we cease to approach God. Why do we let, as Christians, let sin make a mockery of our witness? Because we're hiding from Him. When the sin debt has already been paid and you have only to confess your sins and be cleansed? Why do we run from Him? We need to swim to Him and be restored. Why are we sitting on the side of the road blind to God's will for our lives? Is it because we're embarrassed to cry out? Are we embarrassed of our need? We don't want anybody to know. That's pride. That's what we need saving from. Why is our love for Jesus not on full display? Why do we have such a hard time lifting our hands in worship, singing aloud? Why are we ashamed of our alabaster box? We're worried what the Pharisees might think. You know, I stopped worrying about what the Pharisees thought a long time ago. The fear of man, it brings a snare. It entraps you. It keeps you from rising to the heights. It keeps you tethered down to the things of this world. And God wants to set you free from the fear of man. The only reason we don't receive God's grace and mercy in our time of need is because we don't come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't seek Him wholeheartedly. Or maybe some of us are still separated by that sin in our lives because we've rejected the cross. But I'm here to tell you, approach, for He has held out the scepter to you with a smile on his face he says come be forgiven receive abundant life and just perhaps you were born for such a time as this perhaps the purpose that God put in you from the foundations of the world will save your generation. 
turn your family around, will break generational curses. Only God knows what potential lies untapped in your life. Just perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.